everybody, welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name is Basil. And my name is Gons. Welcome to episode number 132. 132 Skadoo, baby. This week, we've got an awesome episode with one Mr. Carl Tykrip, who has not been on the show since episode 70-something. 78. 78, that's right. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, But he is back. You may remember his work on uh, researching transformative events, and that includes Burning Man. Burning Man this year is, uh, it's got a fascinating spin, and the spin is called iRobot. So we're going to be talking to Carl about Burning Man, his new research project there, and what we can expect to find out, as well as a bunch of other very interesting things. So you guys are, I'm just so happy to be in your shoes. You've got such a wonderful hour and a half ahead of you. But before we get into that, we're just going to do a couple of things up here at the top. First of all, Gons, yes. how you doing? I am doing pretty good. Yeah. Thanks for That's asking, good. man. Um, are you, are you, <laughs> I have a proposition for you. Okay. Let's invite some dudes over in fellowship tonight. Mm, you want to have, have a little fellowship? Want some fellowship? You, you want some fellowship, Basil? Are we starting a Canary Cry Bible study? I think we should. That would be fun. That sounds like more time, though. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I think that every episode of Canary Cry is a nice little Bible, the Bible study. Yeah, it's it true. just studies things that other Bible studies don't really pay attention to. <laughs> yeah. Try bringing up Genesis 6 in your next Bible study. See how that goes. Blowing minds. But let's first thank everybody who has been supporting us on Patreon. We've got our Patreon going over going on over at patreon.com slash Canary Cry Radio, where we've been posting bonus episodes called Canary Cry Conversations. If you guys are not yet in on that, you're going to want to do that. You're going to want to. Because um, you're going to want to do it. Last last uh, Canary Cry Conversations, I dropped some insider information that I had on some pretty interesting things going on in the tech world that uh, had not become public yet, as well as you and I talking just like a couple of buddies about some of the stuff we wish we could bring up on Canary Cry Radio. So if you guys are interested in getting that inside look at uh, what Gons and I talk about off air, you can head over to patreon.com slash Radio. Sign up. We've got some super fun reward levels there. And look, I get it. We've been talking about Patreon a lot, and you guys might be kind of tired of us trying to solicit donations or whatever. But you guys keep in mind, um, like we said on the special announcement we made about a month ago, um, we categorically reject the concept of putting advertisements on our show. In fact, uh, there's been some little hiccups recently where third parties were putting advertisements on our show. Some listeners brought it to our attention and we swiftly put an end to any advertisement being put on Canary Cry Radio or any Canary Cry intellectual properties. Um, because uh, I personally, I categorically reject the philosophy of giving our attention to advertisement. That's basically us stealing your attention and trading it for money, which is not how we want to operate. We want to operate outside of that system, and I won't go too far into that philosophy. Maybe we'll talk about that on a Canary Cry conversation, 
But uh, this show does run on your guys' support, okay? We are currently getting pretty close to our first goal of 100 supporters. When we get 100 supporters, we have a very special episode that we are going to put out. Uh, We're currently at 71, so that's only 30 more supporters. And so if you're out there and, uh, you know, you're watching TV, getting ads, listening to the radio, getting ads, unfortunately, listening to other podcasts, getting ads, and you appreciate the fact that we have rejected that philosophy, we've actually, actually refused pretty high level advertisers. Like we mentioned in our special announcement, a pretty big Christian Hollywood insider wanted to advertise on the show and we just couldn't bring ourselves to do it. Um, so if you guys want to help us in that quest to disconnect from the advertising uh, structure of the beast system, um, <laughs> please head over to patreon.com slash canary cry radio. That's all I got to say about that. And thank you to all the patrons out there. You guys really do make a difference um, on all the platforms. We have our separate platforms between Face Like the Sun uh, the Joy Spiracy Theory, Canary yeah. Cry Radio, and Canary Cry News Talk. I know it's spread out and it's a lot of stuff, but we do appreciate the support. And, ah. and we're coming up with different ways, Basil. We're working yeah. on ways where... Um, I was going to say... When you go to, to Starbucks, okay, and you log on that Wi-Fi, you're probably not reading the privacy stuff and all you know the little the, the terms of service and all this kind of stuff. Most likely it's in there. I don't know. I haven't looked. But they're mining cryptocurrency using your hardware. Yeah. Did you know that, but Basil? I, I personally did know that, and it's oh, yeah, very disturbing. True. Yeah. There's an opportunity for us to use the same technology, but not not scam people, but actually just be like, hey, if you want to support us and you you know you can't do it through Patreon or some other way, one way you can would be to basically open a web page that we will share eventually. I think we're working on it here. We're canarycryradio.com slash crypto. All you got to do is go to that website, and you will basically be... Helping us, helping support us through mining right. cryptocurrency, which I, we won't get too detailed, but go ahead. So, for, for those of you who may not have the cash, I understand. And I'm sorry that this uh, segment is going a little long, but you know, sometimes just devoting five bucks to a podcast that you listen to just isn't feasible. And I totally understand that. Both Gons and I have been there and making a cash commitment every month is too much for you. We totally understand and uh, we're we're cool with that. And for those of you who still want to support the podcast financially, we are making available a system where you can visit a webpage, canarycryradio.com slash crypto, and help support the podcast by devoting a very small uh, amount of your computing power to helping us um, mine cryptocurrency. Now, I can understand that that might be a little bit uh, uncomfortable for some people, but when that comes out, we will give you all the details will be right there so you can fully understand what's happening. It'll be fully secure and uh, you can know that you're helping out your favorite podcast just by visiting a webpage. CanaryCryRadio.com slash crypto. If it's available by the time this show comes out, we will put that link in the show notes. But that's enough of that. Yeah. Now, we're, we're done talking about that. 
Yes. Now, it's just about time to get into the conversation with Carl Tykrip here. Super excited. You guys are going to be pumped on this one. Carl, awesome friend of the show. Um, if you have not yet done it, like us on Facebook and give us a rating and a review on iTunes. We get a lot of good feedback from these episodes. And if you uh, are unable to personally share the show, uh, send an episode to your friend or tell them to listen to an episode, what you can do is leave a rating and a review view on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. And that directly affects our standings in the listings. And if enough people do that every week, we get put uh, higher on the listings and people find the show. I mean, how many people out there uh, were just kind of browsing through or, or searching on iTunes and found Canary Cry Radio, you found that because somebody left a rating and a review on the show. So please go do that. And without further ado, Gons, yes. it's time to learn about the transformative event of Burning Man in the Black Rock Desert and the Camp of the Unknown God. So one of the things that happens at Burning Man, and there's recent research out of Oxford that sort of backs this up, is that Burning Man alters consciousness in a very particular way, and it drops people into a state of group flow. So flow is a peak performance state, right? It's an individual performing at their peak. Group flow is simply a team performing at their peak, and everybody has some familiarity with this. That's group flow in action. Google has relied very heavily since their inception on creating group flow states. And when they were looking for a new CEO, they needed a way to screen for this. And it's, you know, it doesn't show up on most resumes. They had a long history with Burning Man. From the very beginning, Larry and Sergey have been kind of rabid attendees. 50 different CEOs in the Valley they try to interview. And they found out that Eric Schmidt had actually been to Burning Man. So they bumped him to their top of the list. They took him to Burning Man to see how he would do. They wanted to know, was he going to be able to kind of let go of his ego, merge with the team, or was he going to stand in his way? And as it turns out, he passed the test, and the result is one of the most pivotal CEO hires in the modern era. It was certainly the case that in the early days of Silicon Valley, psychedelics were a very important thing. Uh, John Markoff wrote a wonderful book a few years ago called uh, What the Dormouse Said, which shows the relationship between Silicon Valley, early computer culture, microcomputer culture, and, uh, and psychedelics. There was certainly a zeal that was not simply psychedelic, it was also the notion of intellectual empowerment. This is Canary Cry Radio. Every computer needs an operating system as a foundation to carry out all the functions that these magical machines bring to our fingertips. The same could be said about human society, where worldview is the primary foundation by which our civilization draws its functional capacities. And similar to the variety of options in the marketplace of operating systems like Linux, macOS, iOS, Windows, in our contemporary Western civilization, we have a buffet of option when it comes to worldview. While the freedom to explore the buffet without being killed by controlling authorities, is a positive product of westernization, or so it appears anyway. A lack of critical thinking and grounded reasoning when examining these worldviews has given way to some pretty confusing times. However, what is emerging from this worldview vacuum is what appears to be a sort of new spirituality, with an ingredient that we've been tracking here on Canary Cry Radio for years, which is technology. 
This cultural move towards techno-spiritualism is all the more apparent with the theme of this year's Burning Man 2018, which is I, Robot. To discuss these issues and more is the author of the upcoming book, Game of Gods, The Temple of Man in the Age of Reenchantment. He's been a guest a couple times before on Canary Cry Radio, episode 32 back in October of 2012, and then again discussing transformative events back on episode 78. That was November 2014. It's been almost four years. The guy who I call the Bible thumping burner, Carl Teichrib. Welcome back, Carl. It's good to be with you guys. Wow, that's quite the handle, Bible thumping burner. Wow. Yeah, not bad, right? <laughs> 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 wow. I can't believe it's been so long since we've had you on the show. It seems like just yesterday we were uh, exploring the f- the fringes of the fringe as far as these transformative events are concerned. Right, right. And now, now people, I think, are starting to realize how mainstream the fringe really is. That's absolutely right. And, um, you know, one of the topics of conversation we're going to have today is about Burning Man. And I have been so kind of tuned in to the mainstream appeal of Burning Man, especially, you know, within the past four years. uh, I mean, four years ago is happening as well. But now with this tech explosion and we see a sort of exodus from Silicon Valley up to the Black Rock Desert with all these tech leaders attending and fashion is being influenced by Burning Man and art, uh, you know, uh, where I am, Burning Man is like synonymous with like whatever new art craze is going on. And so Burning Man especially seems to be one of these things that uh, is so central to maybe the pop culture that's developing, or at least if you're in the know. And uh, so I think it's important that people keep an eye out for it and are able to identify how it's affecting our community. Now, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but uh, that is kind of the focus of some of your newer work, correct? That's right. Uh, right now, I'm actually, as we've been speaking uh, about this topic, uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've been working through my final chapter in my book, Game of Gods, which deals with transformative festivals and, of course, Burning Man being the mothership of transformational mm-hmm. transformational events. And, and, and it's interesting because they themselves would not classify the event as a festival. It's more like a happening or a yeah. gathering. Uh, it, it, it's kind of a come and, and and bring what you can and do what you can. Uh, there's no real, um, it's not like a carnival or a festival in the, in the traditional sense of the word. Yeah, and it's so f- interesting because, um, you know, being a younger person, the influence of Burning Man is all over the place. And I do, I personally know a, a good group of people who go and uh, yeah, it's kind of become uncool to to call it a festival. Even um, there's sort of like this uh, corporate sheen that they're trying to keep off of it by calling it a festival. 
Right, right. And yet at the same time, it, it is what it is. It is a type of festival. It is a type of a festival, if you want to use that term in a way that resonates with a type of social uh, revolution. It really holds that concept of social revolution, uh, transformation through transgression, uh, a, a container of sorts for social engineering, social experimentation, personal transformation, and with that, the idea that we can move on and uh, let this seep into the pores of culture and civilization. Well, it seems it seems like uh, they've been having their desired effect here. Now, before we get into you know this year's Burning Man coming up, actually this month, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your past work and past experiences with? Um, a, kind of your research into these transform uh, transformational events, just maybe like a little recap because they can always go back and hear the full episodes and then, um, and then what you're doing next. Yeah, sure. Um, I've been doing research on worldview issues from a Christian perspective since, well, full-time, since 1997, working with other authors, uh, researchers, and um, some media ministries across the U.S. And I'm not I'm not American, I'm a, I'm a Canadian, uh, and that's kind of allowed me to open up some doors, too, in different ways. I've, I've been to a number of events here in Canada. Um, and back in the early... Uh, 2000s, I was really focused more on the the idea of world federalism, global governance, interfaithism. That's all still on the table. I still research and work in those fields. And I would attend a number of events, uh, United Nations events. I've been to a couple of NATO-sponsored events, different things that, that kind of focus on the more hard political sides of, of transformation. And I've known about Burning Man, golly, I've known about Burning Man probably since the late 1990s, early 2000s, but it, it kind of sat there in the back of my mind. And in fact, the whole cultural side of global transformation sat in the back of my mind for a long time. Uh, but it was, I think, about 2007, 2008, where I started to take a far more serious look at this. And it wasn't just Burning Man. It's actually an umbrella of, of transformative movements and ideas. And I uh, started to take a look at Psytrance events, what was, what was then becoming known as transformational festivals, and, and seeing... Uh, Almost this as a global movement, and it really is. The more research and more time I've spent in this culture, the more I realize it really is a global movement. It really is a type of new spiritual, new religious movement. And about 2010 or so, I started writing on this stuff, uh, just hinting at it. Uh, and of course, 2012 was on the show with you guys, which is probably one of my first shows that I would have done on this topic. on trans right. On exclusive baby. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know there were other there, there are and have been other people from, from from you know from the Christian world writing on Burning Man, but as far as I know, and, and this might sound kind of quirky, uh, as far as I know, I think I'm the only guy that that kind of pulled it from a Christian perspective, mm. uh, kind of pulled it together in its larger global umbrella that this is one facet of a massive cultural movement, which would include raves, side trances. Uh, it would include things like uh, um, 
Oh, the the uh, Krishna festival, the the Honeyman festival in uh, in Colorado, all the way out to the um, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the name of it, the Holy Festival, the Krishna festival at, in the in the Krishna uh, temple in uh, in Utah. The list goes on and on and on. Uh, Starwood pagan spirit gathering. You you have a whole spiritual pagan. I mean, hardcore religiously pagan side to this as well. So what I was seeing was was there was this umbrella concept of transformational or evolutionary culture. And Burning Man fit underneath that umbrella, as so many other events did. Many of them were very different in their context, but all of them were pointing to the same, same general idea, that we're going to change the world we're going to be personally transformed, and then as we are personally transformed, we we take that into our into our into our home, into our into our place of work, uh, in, into our schools, and, and allow that to seep and and move into the cracks of culture. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you know, it's not even necessarily kind of a secret thing. I mean, that's kind of the idea of of these things. Um, yeah whether the attendees are aware of it or not, but I would say most of them are because most uh, of the people that I know who go to Burning Man, I mean, they're the people who go to Burning Man. <laughs> and they're those people all the time. Yeah, it's not a it's not a, a weekend thing for them. It's a it's an identity. <laughs> right. It is an identity. You're absolutely right. Uh, the thing that that strikes me as I've been going through building the chapter I'm working on right now uh, is the countercultural context. Mm-hmm. This is really nothing more than that extension of the 1960s, the Summer of Love in 1967. It's an extension of the happenings that that was a cultural, artistic movement of the day. It's it's an extension of the beats. Uh, it certainly is an extension of the Trips Festival, the Acid Tests, all of those things that set up the 1960s to make the counterculture what it was. And of course, the counterculture emerging out of the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco, emerging out of Laurel Canyon in the L.A. area, th- that really has shifted and changed the world, that that social cultural uh, influence through music, through dance, through the identity of who you are, uh, has has absolutely shifted and changed the world. And of course, what's really interesting is a side note to all this is actually, it's not really a side note, is that the history of cyber culture, mm. uh, the the internet, the, the right. tech computer industry comes out of that same cultural milieu. It yeah. comes out of that same 1960s experience and testing and playing around with new ideas, including new technologies for transformation. And it, it comes together hand in glove. Yeah, no, my, yeah. you just gave me chills because, yeah, th- this is uh, the stuff that we've been covering but also the minds of men i don't know if you've seen that film yet carl by aaron and melissa dykes but they go into some of the classified documents of mk ultra and uh show pretty good circumstantial evidence that they were doing some pretty horrific experience on humans but it's not so much that they're trying to create a manchurian candidate or or anything like that they were actually trying to create this hive mind and so the internet itself being released from the military into the public there seems to have been at the highest levels a knowledge that this was going to shift culturally uh, people into a very different type of thinking. And it's, it's amazing how much we've seen of it. And, and it's 
great that you brought the conversation there because I was just going to ask you about the internet and how it has changed in your view, something like Burning Man, because, you know, if you've been tracking, especially since the late nineties, you've, you've probably seen how socially we've been manipulated and changed with the, our communication technologies. Um, but I want to read something real briefly, just a quote from this is a book called computerization and controversy values, conflicts, and social choices. Um, it's edited by Robert Kling, but there's, different authors that have uh, different chapters in here. And Kevin Kelly, who I've quoted several times, um, who's the co-founder of Wired.com or Wired Magazine, uh, he has a little section in here called The Electronic Hive, Embrace It. And um, he says here that he's, he's talking about the internet, and, he's, and he says that there's no central meaning, no official canon, no manufactured consent rippling through the wires from which we can borrow a viewpoint. Instead, every idea has a backer and every idea or every backer has an idea while contradiction, paradox, irony, and multifaceted truths rise up in a flood. The reoccurring vision swirls in uh, the shared mind of the net, a vision that nearly every member glimpses, if only momentarily, a wiring human and artificial minds into one planetary soul. This incipient techno-spiritualism is all the more remarkable because of how unexpected it has been. The net, after all, is nothing more than a bunch of highly engineered pieces of rock braided together with strands of metal or glass. It is routine technology. Computers, which have been in our lives for 20 years, have made our lives faster, uh, but not that much different. Nobody expected a new culture, a new thrill, or uh, new politics to be born when we married calculating circuits with the ordinary telephone, but that's exactly what's happened. And uh, man, that, that, that is a true statement coming from someone who is saying, embrace the hive mind. And, and so do you see uh, the same thing happening? And how do you uh, differentiate on the uh, you know, embracing the hive mind concept? You, you, well, you know something? You just described Burning Man. You just really described it in many respects. And, and of course, you would because Kevin Kelly comes out of the counterculture of the 1960s. And Kevin Kelly has, uh, he's got those connections, those, those cross connections deeply into the burn community itself. Right. So uh, what, he just, what he just described really is the heart and soul uh, that, that emerges from, from, the, from the Burning Man experience, which of course has no framework. You, you come in uh, like the internet, it's, it's this hodgepodge collection. Everybody is contributing, everybody, everybody is participating. There's these crossovers, these connecting points, these nodes of energy everywhere. And out of it emerges this sense of, of group flow. Um, of course, on the web, you have group flow being managed through your search engines. I mean, Google understood this so well that they more or less managed the group flow of information technology. Yeah. And that's what that's what Burning Man really is, a sense of group flow. Yeah. Um, and so what Kevin Kelly was talking about, bang on, that that is that really is this experience of of the age we're living in today. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because uh, talking about this concept of group flow, I mean, in a sense, this is what uh, even church can be described as, or really any sort of community. Um, there's this aspect of group flow. And I think it's important that people, especially those listening to this show, we stay pretty grounded in that, you know, the issues to have with things like Burning Man is not the fundamental concepts of coming together and community and, and art and things like that. 
you know, it doesn't mean that every time people congregate, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great it's thing. It's necessary. For yeah, it's necessarily a problem. I mean, or that um, yeah. because that's what uh, you know. There's, there's, it's all good. People getting together and sort of in one mind and one spirit. That's exactly what uh, church is, and and many other types of gatherings. Um, but really, the issues arise when um, the ideology behind the group flow is is problematic in one way or another. And uh, I, I'm assuming that's where a lot of your research comes from, Carl, is more uh, involved in the ideology of of a gathering, whether it be, you know, Burning Man or whether it be some other event going on trying to harness this power of group flow. Um, so yeah, yeah. It, it is, it is. And definitely dealing with the worldview uh, and trying to understand, first of all, trying to understand the worldview, especially with an event like Burning Man, which says, ultimately we have, we have no worldview. We have no, we have no, you know, spiritual religious context and yet at the same time at the same time they do and they know it enough that their philosophical center uh, because they have a, a center dealing with philosophy is basically just a, a website and, and and some staff members and I've been interacting a little bit with some of the people who've been involved in, in some of the philosophical sides of of Burning Man um, they recognize that there is a pseudo-religious context that's that's taking place. And you can't deny that. There is a philosophical worldview perspective. Even if you say, hey, you know, you can bring anything to the table, radical inclusion, you take away from it what you want. Um, we're not shoving anything down your throat. Larry Harvey, the founder of Burning Man, I, I believe he called it, I quickly got to find a quote because I just, just used it yesterday. It was a really interesting quote because it, it, it just focus right in on what this really is. Um, one second. Okay, here we go. Where he said, something effective, okay, Burning Man is a self-service cult. Wash your own brain. <laughs> <laughs> that's very, I mean, that's very funny, but it is. also, it is. It's also, also yeah. endlessly fascinating. Yeah. Exactly. And see, that's one of the things that a lot of times people who have not connected at all really with this culture or even tried to work to understand this culture will automatically assume, well, it's just one thing. It's just this, you could call it a, uh, um, uh, kind of like a, an orgy in the desert. I remember last year when I was at the burn and all of a sudden I had a, uh, an article that popped up on my, on my feed and the, my phone went off and here's this article said 70,000, uh, 70,000 naked people in the desert having an orgy. And I'm looking around going, really? <laughs> Where? Where? You know, I'm right here. <laughs> it, it didn't quite fit the narrative. You know, the, yeah. their, their narrative didn't fit the reality. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because as a kid, uh, you know, romping around in youth groups and stuff, I remember being, yeah, I don't know, 13, 14, stuff like that. And uh, occasionally this topic of Burning Man coming up and pictures being shown and it's like always people like half naked, but dressed as demons and like with these big <laughs> bat wings, you know, the like the costume stuff that happens out there. and. And the entire Burning Man uh, thing being presented as like, 
They, they, they do a big satanic ritual, kids. Stay away from Burning Man and those who attend. Ooh. Which, I mean, probably was good advice at the time to stay away. But it was this very one-dimensional sort of idea of what Burning Man was. I really had no idea any of the concepts behind it besides, you know, this one picture I saw with this guy who, you know... I mean, he looks like he worked in HR and sat at a desk all day, but then he was at Burning Man in this like weird leather demon costume. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> all that pent up. You need, you, yeah, you need to understand it's a photographer's paradise because you have right. the most bizarre stuff imaginable. Yes, you do see all that stuff that you've just described. But then you also see thousands and thousands and thousands of people dressed up as well or in various states of undress that look far more normal. Yeah, you know, right. they might, you know, they definitely just have a, a certain persona that they fit, but they're not they're not wearing, you know, demon wings and stuff like that. Right. Um, <laughs> and it's not, it's and not just one big demon fest. I thought this is what I've been told. <laughs> And and there is there is certainly a a paganistic element to it. There's no no denying that. In fact, uh, it is a type of ritual. uh, And Larry Harvey and others from the Byrne community understand. And of course, Larry Harvey now he really understands. I mean, Larry Harvey passed away here just a few months ago. Um, But the the concept of of ritual has always been there. It's always been a part of it. But one thing that's really interesting about the spirituality of it all is 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 Larry Harvey, who was an atheist was very clear that this was a type of spirituality that, in fact, the 2017 theme, Radical Ritual, was it was set up to, to uh, communicate that this is spirituality. Now, the interesting thing about this form of spirituality is that it is a type of secularized spirituality, a sacred secularism. You could call this as you could call this as being re-enchanted. Uh, it is to find now the mystery within yourself, the mystery within the cosmos, the mystery within art, the mystery within our group encounter. We find now a sense of spirituality in these in these uh, gatherings and these in these experiences because it really is a form of experiential spirituality. And so there's no dogma necessarily attached to it. There's no doctrine necessarily attached to it. Uh, there are there are the ten principles, but that's more or less how to how to be within within the group. Um, but there is this this feel of spirituality. And, and Larry Harvey was very clear about that, that this is a type of spirituality, one unattached to any doctrines or dogma. Now, what's interesting with this is you could call this religion without revelation. You could call this being spiritual, but not religious, which is the context of our Western culture today. And that goes all the way back again to the counterculture, to places like the Esalon Institute, which came up with you know more or less this feeling idea of spirituality. We'll do our yoga. We we look for higher human potential. We blend the East and the West together. We're not going to necessarily look at any type of doctrines or dogmas. Uh, we're not interested in theology. What we're interested in is the experience, and the experience will guide your spiritual truth. And that's really kind of this this underlying flavor that's there. It's not even underlying. It, it really is is that uh, that that core experience that you're going to have, uh, and, and it's meant to be like that. 
symptoms. It is an overwhelming sensory overload, boil your brain kind of place. So for people who are seeking something, you know, for people who are looking for answers, um, how does, how does something like this appeal to them? You know? Oh, we've rejected Christianity. We don't know what Christianity is all about. We haven't a clue. We have a whole generation that hasn't a clue what we've rejected, but we've rejected Christianity. And so we've got this void. We've got this void, and we're looking to fill it with something. And so Burning Man offers, it does, it does offer, here's a place where you can come. You can be totally wowed. You can feel like you are part of a community. You can feel like you're connected. You can feel overwhelmed, and it is overwhelmed. I mean, it's it's like Disneyland, except a little bit wilder. Uh, <laughs> it, it has that wow effect, and so there is there is an appeal, even just from that side of it. I, mem- I remember last year I talked to a a couple of seniors who were there. And by the way, there are a lot of seniors there. I talked to a couple of seniors and they go to Burning Man every year uh, for their, basically for their Alice in Wonderland vacation time. They're stepping in the rabbit hole and they're doing it intentionally uh, because it is just such a bizarre, bizarre place. And it is bizarre, but there's a sense of we, we need some type of spirituality, and we've rejected Christianity. What are we going to fill it with? Well, we're going to fill it with all kinds of things. We're going to fill it with uh, transhumanism. We're going to fill it with new Eastern thoughts and philosophies. We're going to find our own made-at-home DIY spirituality. And that's what the West has done. That's what this is. This is DIY spirituality. What's interesting, though, is last year, my friend Bob Worley and myself set up a, uh, we set up a sign at our camp. Uh, and and our, our sign just said this, Camp of the unknown God. And guys, we had people coming by going, uh, literally asking this question, who is the unknown God? <laughs> Other people came by and said, where did you get that from? I mean, so cool. Wow. That so was, cool. it was, it was such an incredible opportunity. When you have people come up and say, who is this unknown God? There is no wider open door than <sighs> that. Man, you can give me chills. I, I love know, that, man. It's, it's crazy. so freaking cool. Yeah, and so uh, we, we literally use an Acts 17 approach because, as you know, in Acts 17, Paul goes to Mars mm-hmm. Hill. He goes to Athens. It's a pagan culture. Shrines and temples and, and idols set up to all types of deities, including the uh, you know an inscription on one monument saying to the unknown God. And here we are, literally in a spiritual DIY <laughs> You know, pagan slash spiritual slash I'm seeking, I'm looking for something kind of culture. And we just literally put the sign up. We didn't even have to go banging on, you know, banging on people's tent doors. People just came by, saw it, and stopped and talked. And we only had one person that actually walked away a little upset when Jesus Christ came up. Others, yeah, of course. You know, others stayed. Everybody else stayed. In fact, we had uh, we had an atheist who came by. He, he came back twice to talk some more. Uh, Bob had guys coming back a couple of times, saying, "I want to return. I want to. I want to hear more." Um, I had a young Russian artist that came by, and he looked at the sign and asked what this was all about. Said, "Who is this unknown god?" <laughs> and uh, you know, you sit down, and this is the approach that we used. You sit down with them. We brought extra lawn chairs just for this, you know, just for such an occasion as this. We would pull up the, you know, the the extra lawn chair. We'd give them some Gatorade. We'd give them some water. We'd give them some food. It's a place that 
I mean, physically, it's a harsh environment. So, buddy, get in some shade. Here's some Gatorade. You know, here's a chocolate bar, whatever it was we're going to give them. And uh, tell us your story. I mean, before we get into the question that you just asked, who are you? Where are you from? What do you believe? Because it's obviously we're going to go down, down the road of having a conversation about belief. You just asked about that. And so uh, they would say, you know, they would talk about about you know, a little bit about their background, where they where where they've come from, where you know if they've gone to church, things like that. This young Russian guy, um, I probably ended up talking to him for a good hour, maybe a little bit more. Uh, at one point, he he explained he's he's an esoteric philosopher. His his views are are oneness, and uh, so. As an artist, I said, are you telling me that your your art has the same value as the artist? You are this you hold the same value as the things you create? And he goes, No, of course not. I have more value than the art. I, I'm above my art, <laughs> which I agree, of course. And then I looked around and I said, and he already was getting this because we already gone down some of these roads in our conversation. And and I said to him, I said, Hey, you know. We've got the mountains around us. We have this incredible desert. This is an amazing place. There's no doubt about it. God here has painted an incredible picture for us. We have an incredible piece of natural art all around us. You're telling me that the artist and the art is the same. And he looked at me and he goes, I know where you're going. And no, it can't be. And so we ended up having some really interesting talks. Um, But that was our beginning point. We had to actually break down is God the same as nature and humanity? If yes, then everything is oneness. It shares the same essence. It's all the same. It's all one. But if God is distinct and different, completely unique, then reality breaks down into two. And, and Dr. Peter Jones from Truth Exchange brings us out really, really well. And so that was that was the foundation we had to start with. We had to actually break down, okay, is God different? Because if he is, then we have to find out, we have to know who this God is. Wow, what yeah. a fascinating conversation to have. I mean, uh, th- that's definitely a conversation that's being had a lot in sort of contemporary spiritual circles. And, you know, yeah, the idea of oneness and stuff and God being present in all things. And that comparison to the art and the artist, because, yeah, on one level, all artists will say, like, yes, my art has a piece of me. I am in there. I, you know, you can, you can, uh, you can know me through my art, but it's also, I don't think any of them are going to say that, like, yes, any one piece of art and you understand the fullness of my being. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's an awesome entry point. I'm going to have to remember that one. But, you know, it required us, number one, to know that culture that we had walked into. When Paul went to Mars, when he went to, to Mars Hill to Athens, he understood. He understood the culture well enough that he could recite their poets and philosophers. He knew their worldview. It wasn't that he became their worldview, but he walked into their reality. And then he he was able to leverage that worldview in such a way to bring the gospel forward. Yeah. That was the model that we wanted to apply. We wanted to see, did that old model, that two-millennium-old model, did that, does that still work? Oh boy, does it ever. Mm. Did we make converts? No, but seeds were planted. Seeds are planted all week long. Yeah, I was going to yeah. ask you because, you know, as I've listened to a lot of Christian philosophers and, and you know, that kind of thing, and it's, it's very interesting and it's 
hard to argue against some pretty airtight stuff that is presented from the Christian worldview when it comes to reflecting on the nature of reality and, and seeing, you know, uh, discovering God in that as, uh, like you mentioned, something that's apart from creation and all this. Has there ever been a moment where, where you received a, a response or a comeback where you were just like, oh, that's good. I'm stumped. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess because, you know, to some extent, you always sometimes, sometimes you're just surprised by what you get. Okay. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're surprised at just how silly it sometimes is. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the ridiculousness of the, of the statement really kind of takes you back. And then sometimes you, you'll get things thrown at you that you just, you, you have to go, okay, you know, I don't know. I, I have to, I have to go and look that up. I've got to think about this for a while. Right. Let's not drop the conversation. Yeah. Let's return to this conversation. Give me time to think about it. Um, I had a situation where I was stumped one time um, by a young man, and uh, uh, he just said something to the effect of, well, you know, if God is so great, could he make a rock bigger than himself that he couldn't move? And I, you know, I'm like, what? Where's this it's, coming from? I mean, it's a classic. <laughs> it's, a, it's a classic. But, you know, the thing that, and it was one of those kind of things that when it was said to me, I, I had never thought about it. Um, intuitively, I knew that there was something wrong with the very foundation of the question. Hmm. And I realized later as I walked away that, hey, you know, he wasn't actually asking a question. He was making a statement. Right. And, 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 and if it is a question, it would be considered what's a, what would be considered a nonsense question. And it's more or less to try to make a statement. And uh, I, I walked away from there, you know, I, I learned, I learned now how to kind of approach that, that kind of a conversation. Um, men, and, you know, guys, the bottom line was for us, let them talk first, mm. let them tell us their story and, and treat them with dignity, treat them with respect, treat them as human beings. And this is something that I think it's so important for the Christian world to, to, to remember. And we have to remember this. We recognize it. We know it. But we have to remember that they're created in God's image, that they, have been, that they are eternally created with a soul. And, and we have to, treat, we have to treat, uh, treat the individual with dignity because of that. Yeah, it almost yeah. feels like you're, when you start understanding that, it's, it, you're almost uh, rejecting that gift by know. you know uh, yeah. going towards this sort of uh we're all one type of mentality right so right. so now something that's uh it's just so engaging for Gans and I right now we do a lot of talking about transhumanism we do a lot of talking about uh just kind of the tech world and and the current events going on there we sort of have a fixation a little bit um especially on canary cry news talk where i mean the news of this movement comes out so quickly that we can barely keep up um and that includes this year's theme for burning man so first of all, could you speak a little bit to, you know, the concept of a theme, why they even do themes, stuff like that? Maybe it's just PR, but, you know, knowing what we know about the influence that uh, th- this transformative event has on culture as a whole, where do these themes come from? Why are they applied? And this year's theme, what is it and, uh, and why is it? 
<laughs> this year's theme is I, Robot, which of course has a transhumanist element. It, it is birthed out of Isaac Asimov's writings. Um, they have had themes in place since the mid-1990s. The first theme was Inferno, and it had uh, uh, th there was an art installation attached to the theme called Hellco, which was Hell as a company. Uh, they had Satan masquerade, masquerade, uh, masquerading around, and they had uh, it, it was it was pretty crazy. It was pretty crazy, and there was, in terms of, of of the photography of people in demon suits and stuff. Yep, you would have got a lot of photography of stuff like that. Back yeah, then. that's that's probably where that picture came from that I saw. <laughs> what the themes are is a philosophical um, coat rack to hang the event on. Mm. It, it doesn't mean that everybody coming even understands a theme, agrees with a theme or is even participating in the theme. But the theme does enable uh, the artwork to find a grounding. Then there's a, there's a type of commonality within, within some of the artwork. You can have artwork that is completely different than the theme. And, and you can see that again this year. But the theme literally is that philosophical frame to hang the event on. And so in 2012, the, the theme was Fertility 2.0. Uh, 2011, it was Rites of Passage. I think 2013 was Cargo Cult. And, uh, Karen, uh, you know, di different, different themes all the way through. Um, it kind of set the tone, more or less. That, that's what it does. Uh, Carnival of Mirrors was, I think, the 2015 theme. And, and it allows people to to kind of build their their camps their art and uh, and set the mood for what what that year's burn will look like and so this year being irobot uh the man will be standing on a massive massive cog a great big gear he'll have 12 robot effigies all uh located around the the main burn burning man the, the man himself and that will all be burnt at the end of the week including the 12 effigies that will be surrounding the main the, the man on his pedestal mm. Fascinating. Uh, yeah yeah the techno you know the, the technological side is so important to this story and uh, this theme is going to help to bring that out a little bit more. People are going to start asking questions. Well, where is this coming from? Um, you know, since the 1990s, I mean, really almost since the beginning, the whole the, you know, the tech industry has really watched the burn community. And this really shouldn't come as a surprise. In the 1960s, there was a, a, a um, you could almost call it a, a transformational event called the Human Being. It took place in San Francisco. It really, in a sense, kickstarts the counterculture in a significant way. And uh, in the 1990s, uh, actually, I think it started off already in the in the mid 1980s. You had what was called the digital BNs, which were a cyber psychedelic spinoff of the 1967 BN, and it it took place within the tech sector. Uh, they would have uh, sponsorship from things uh, organizations like Apple and Microsoft and Yahoo. Timothy Leary would come give presentations, and it was a combination of rave psychedelics, cybernetics, technology for the tech sector. It was called the digital be-ins. In fact, it's well worth taking the time to look that up on the web. And what was interesting is back in 1997, uh, at the digital be-in, Larry Harvey, then of course known already as the, as the founder or co-founder of Burning Man, he came to the event, he came to the digital be-in, 
And he said to them that Burning Man was the physical analog for cyberspace. And then this is what he said. He made an appeal in 1997. Remember who his audience is. This is, this is the tech sector of San Francisco. He made an appeal for a new kind of social network. This is what he said. He said, both Burning Man and the Internet make it possible to, to regather the tribe of mankind, to talk to millions of dispersed individuals in the great uh, diaspora of our mass society, living as we do, without sustaining traditions and time and ungrounded in a shared experience of place, it is yet possible to transcend these deficiencies. We must use technology to create space stations here on planet Earth, islands of interest and living contact. It is time to come home. And of course, come home is exactly what they did. So already in the mid-1990s, you had Google, very interested, uh, the founders of Google coming to the burn. Um, in 1998, in fact, September the 4th, 1998, that's when Google became incorporated as a company. But only a couple of days before, on August the 30th, just literally hours before Burning Man even started, Google splashed up their very first doodle on their webpage, was, which was the Burning Man. And they, essentially what they were saying was, the week we're being incorporated as a company, which typically you think, okay, you're with your team, you want to be with your lawyers, you want to work through everything, make sure everything works. Uh, nope, that week, they all went to the burn instead. And so in the early years, Google headquarters, they decorated it with Burning Man images, the company ran a free shuttle bus to the event. Uh, Google and the burn were so heavily intertwined that in 2007, Google produced an internal video uh, for employees on how to cook in the desert when they go to the festival. Uh, then, of course, Eric Schmidt, the CEO of Google, who made the company what it is today. Um, he got hired. He got hired, first of all, because his resume had Burning Man on it. And then uh, the the Google team took him out to burn to the Burning Man uh, event to watch him for the week to see if he could if he could handle <laughs> it if he how he would handle kind of a wild and complex social environment and if he passed the burn he got Google wow <laughs> so weird and, and the world changed <laughs> yeah for sure I, I didn't even realize that it was reported on February twenty second. Uh, by NBCNews.com, what Google uh, found at Burning Man, a CEO uh, and the art of flow, and, and it talks about yeah. that. And uh, several stories out there about how Schmidt was hired at Burning Man. It's crazy. Right, right, absolutely. In fact, Google, uh, you know, Google Earth, Google Maps, uh, some of the tools that we use in Google Earth and Google Maps were developed uh, with, with kind of the social experiments that Google were doing, was doing at the burn. Yeah, you know, it's so fascinating, too, because there's a connection with, uh, I don't know, I would say a similar milieu um, with Steve Jobs and his trips to India and um, something a lot of people I've noticed aren't talking about in our space. And, and I don't know why I haven't brought it, brought it up, but there's a, this craze with something called microdosing. Um, yeah. which is, for those who don't know, is taking a, a very, very, very small amount of a hallucinogenic, usually LSD, and literally going to work at, like, at these Silicon Valley companies. And, you know, not enough to kind of like, Freak you know, out. 
chase around the dragons or something, but um, enough that, it, well, the idea is you you have such a small amount of uh, this sort of mind-expanding chemical in your brain that you get to work and you just like uh, change the world with your new thoughts, and uh, which is incredibly popular in Silicon Valley. I mean, I have, a, I have a buddy who doesn't work there, but is connected with some people there, and he's like, yeah, dude, it's crazy. Everybody's on acid like all day, <laughs> like creating office full of acid people on yeah, acid, chomping away like at computers, creating the next generation of like technology. Right, but th- but that's true. Uh, you know, and that was one of the things that that I heard when I was at some of the workshops at Burning Man. Uh, by the way, there are hundreds of workshops, lectures, uh, panel discussions that take place at the burn. When you arrive, you receive a 160-page thick agenda book with 10 events per page. That's roughly 1,600 different happenings over the course of the week. And a lot of those are workshops with people who are your your you know, your tech industry leaders out of San Francisco and, of course, other places. And I did hear discussion in, in some of the workshops on microdosing. One day we had, I think, 15 or 20 parachutists drop in at night, about 10 o'clock at night, uh, which was crazy because the wind was up, the sand was blowing. Uh, it's a sea of lights that they're parachuting down into. They've got to find the, the one dark spot where they've shut everything down and, and uh, you know allowed them to basically find a, a, a landing pad. Mm-hmm. And I watched, I watched these 15 or 20 parachutists come in in a in a, a, a small sandstorm. And then the next day I was at Camp Mystic, which was where all the, the tech leaders kind of where they cross paths with social change agents and uh, overheard, overheard discussions about the guys that w- when they were jumping out the night before, uh, they're all microdosing before they took before they took the plunge. Man, that sounds like a, a real rush. <laughs> <laughs> That'll lean towards the possibility of experiencing Man, that. The the different paths I could have taken in life <laughs> of all the different choices I could have made. There's well. some combination of choices that could have ended me up microdosing parachuting into Burning Man. <laughs> You know, I went to a workshop with Bob on uh, psychedelics, neuroscience, and psychology, and uh, we had three shamans. It was uh, the workshops were being done at Shaman Dome, which is a, a camp just for shamans and spiritual pr- practitioners, and uh, a lot of discussion, of course, of ayahuasca. Which back already in 2015, when I was at the Parliament of World Religions, ayahuasca was being referenced and recognized as a new religious movement for the West. Mm. But uh, there was a lot of discussion about how the professional community is uh, really interested in ayahuasca. And of course, they t- they they were referring to ayahuasca as as a portal to open up to the plant spirits and mm-hmm. uh, you know to access spiritual entities. They didn't make any bones about this. This is this is entering the world of the supernatural. This yeah. is a gate. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be weird too. When you know the stories that Basil and I cover on uh, places like uh, Canary Cry News Talk, we had this story a couple weeks ago, Basil, with the little robot that carries around the, a plant. Yeah, you know that's really gonna freak people out when they're uh, microdosing, and now they got robot plants. That's what but I'm anyway. saying, man. The plants <laughs> and the robots—they're gonna team up and take us out, bro. <laughs> hey, in terms of- in terms of the transhumanist side, uh, you know, Second Life virtual reality, of course, is is one of the big technologies. And Second Life is very old, but it, it 
created kind of the foundation for virtual reality uh, in, in, in a way that's acceptable. Uh, Philip Rosedale, the creator of Second Life, uh, received more or less his inspiration uh, to develop the, the virtual world by, uh, by his attendance at the 1999 burn. Yeah, well, I Elon Musk, when uh, when he introduced his his uh, his roadster, his Tesla roadster, uh, he took a prototype to the burn in two thousand and seven. That's right. Oh, I would love to rip one of those roadsters around over there in the <laughs> desert. This oh, is just appealing way too much to so you, man. Fun. I know. Maybe I need to join you guys if there's going to be Tesla roadsters I can tear up. That'd be fun. But but that, point, that's a transformative event right there. That would be. <laughs> but, but the point the point being this is that the tech world and Burning Man are so interconnected and interrelated, you cannot really separate the two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, you were mentioning that quote of, of regathering humanity. That is in direct response to the Genesis ten dispersing of the nations almost. You know, exactly. it's, it's crazy how how uh, how much it there's a biblical reference to these things that people just it just goes right over their head. Um well, and that's important because uh, BRC, Black Rock City, the, the city built around the burn, is a city. It is mm -hmm. a city. And, and, and the, the Genesis reference to the Tower of Babel is, first of all, a city. Mm -hmm. I bring this out in my book. It is a city first with a tower. The, the, the two of them are together. This really is a type of regathering. You're absolutely right. This is a city. It's yeah. temporary, but it's meant to be uh, more than temporary. It's meant to have a lasting impact and change the world. Yeah, and, and in the appeal to... Just the the human imagination is something that I've really tried to to zero in on because I've noticed that this is a theme that has been uh, very much you know a, a positive thing for I guess for I don't know maybe maybe not a positive thing entirely but in terms <laughs> of expression human expression technology has allowed for for various new uh, forms of that and so I think you know even ourselves as musicians and podcasters and you know making graphic art and stuff like that that kind of stuff is. It's weird because I, I remember as a kid, you know, just being introduced to computers a little bit in school. By the time I was in like junior high, I was kind of craving a machine at home to be able to like do things. And, and right. I remember that feeling like, oh, I, I need this box to be able to do this work. And I wasn't even sure what it really all meant. But, you know, reflecting back, it was it was this idea of having a personal computer and being able to do work with it. Um, and. What's fascinating to me is this, again, this idea of imagination that we've brought it up in the past, but there was a movie called Real Player One recently, mm -hmm. and, and it's this yep. idea of uh, Oasis, this virtual landscape, and everybody's in this virtual world, uh, and, and, you know, the, the introduction is, uh, you know, has something to the effect of, of saying like, hey, this is a place where you can be anything you imagine to be, you can do anything you imagined, and it goes right back to, again, the Tower of Babel and why God actually decided to, you know, tear it down and, and all this is because the, the, nothing that they imagine to do will be impossible. So it's weird. We're living in this tower of Babel moment again. Um, we are. And, and, and with human imagination, I mean, obviously what are your thoughts there? Do you think that they're playing on some of those emotional, I guess, appeals to that uh, in terms of like a freeing aspect, a, a sense of salvation through this technology, this, this kind of same kind of feeling I had when I was a kid. 
Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it is the sense that that you, we will be able to uh, transcend ourselves, transcend our own limitations. We will even play act that transcendence. When you put the costumes on, when you go and and, and engage in the play act, you are in a sense uh, stripping away your old persona, and you are looking to put on a new, an, you know, a, a new vision of yourself. And, and there is a very, a very strong creative impulse. Humanity is made with a strong creative impulse. It's a blessing. But at the same time, it's also uh, something that that we can chain ourselves with. And we have. We do chain ourselves with it. Um, The creativity, of course, goes beyond just simply the artwork. Uh, The creativity can go, you know, even into the areas of of, of what we think and what we do, uh, the worldview around us. Let me read you guys a few of of the different happenings that take place during the course of the week at Burning Man. Okay. It's creative. It is creative. Uh, some of it is is kind of wacky, but that sense of creativity uh, allows you to now explore new realities. And so I've got 10 that I've put down in my book. These are the 10, and they're taken from different years of the Where, What, When Guide, or What, Where, When Guide. Um, journey into Gender. Enter this coming age at any age ritual to redefine gender and reclaim past rights. Yeah. Bring open heart, mind, soul, desire, objects, and costumes to share. And the camp that that was done in is Gender Blender. The great work, <laughs> Holy Guardian Angel. Alistair Crowley believed knowledge and conversation with okay. one's Holy Guardian Angel should be the preeminent goal of every magician. Learn more. Wow. Sacred Spaces Village. Fire dodgeball. This actually sounds like fun. That sounds by like the way. fun. Yeah. Make new friends and throw a ball of fire at them. Please wear fire safe clothing. <laughs> is that is that a just that that's it? That's that's it. Nice. That's it. What's, and that, what's, that one was at uh, Camp Zoom, which do, does fire baseball, nice. I think fire fire volleyball. Uh, as a farm boy, who you know, I'm, I'm from the, I'm from the sticks. I'm from the farm. Uh, I'll tell you, us rural folks, we like our fire. Uh, we like <laughs> a big bonfire. So <laughs> that actually appeals. Uh, here's a couple more: building a mainstream psychedelic movement. Again, these are all workshops, happenings, and events that you can attend. At Burning Man, I'm taking these from different years of the What, Where, When Guide. Building a mainstream psychedelic movement. Uh, The founder of the Psychedelic Society of San Francisco discusses the ethics and strategy for building a mainstream psychedelic movement. Camp Soft Landing. Slut Celebration Play Party. Young Sluts Unite. Come, play in the sluts five bedrooms. No monogamous couples or single guys. Camp Central Playhouse. Uh, Reiki Shamanism. Weaving Reiki energy medicine with ancient shamanistic journeying. Illuminate your pathway to spiritual insight. Channeling spirit guides. Rescue souls. Carnal healing. The circle of sexuality. Join us for a night of sexual magic as we cast a circle to invoke and honor global sexual deities and ask for their healing and support. The UN's Agenda 2030 and Sustainable Development. Learn about increasing our impact through international and national initiatives, <laughs> explore ways to be a local and global citizen. Is that really next to the, the sex stuff? Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, and this is this is as diverse in terms of creativity and, and what you can explore. Yeah, I'll give you two more. Again, okay. these are all these are all when you open up the what, where, when guides, which is really the the official guides as to what happens there. This is what you see, and it's mashed together. 
um, AI and Man's Quest to Invent God, the story of our development of an artificial intelligence being and how we will grow with it. And then finally, from last year, Holy Sacrament of the Man. It is time to drink the Kool-Aid. Come for communion to receive the body and blood of the man and reflect on the man's sacrifice for us. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. What's that all about? I guess you'd have to go to find out. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, what this shows is, is there is an incredible amount of creativity, an incredible amount of spirituality, and uh, a, a strong emphasis on sexuality mm-hmm. and transgression. And the ideas of the 1960s were transgression. And Alistair Crowley really, really brings this out as a as kind of a model for the 1960s, uh, kind of like that, that cultural icon. It was about transformation through transgression. You overstep the boundaries. You, you push past the norms of traditional culture and society. In our case, when you're talking about worldviews, you push past the norms of the Judeo-Christian ethos that forms the very bedrock of, of what our Western culture was supposed to be about. You push beyond that. And it's not that you're counter-culture in the sense that you are against culture. No, you are reframing culture. And you're doing it, first of all, through transgression hmm. and allow creativity to become uh, part of the, the of, of your toolkit as you transgress old norms and in doing so rebuild them and recreate them for today. Yeah, it's, it seems like a repackaging of old ideas. Uh, it was yeah. we've been you know kind of on the whole time, but it seems like. No, but you're right. You're right. It is repackaging old ideas. But is, isn't that always been the case? I mean, haven't all we've been doing since Genesis 3 is repackaging that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it seems like uh, the idea of progress through transgression is is fascinating to me because it's almost like all art, most art, is reflecting on those transgressions and people identify with it because of our own transgressions. <laughs> And then right. we're like, oh, we're, we're one, and we, we know we understand each other and all this stuff, which is so interesting to me because there is a, a great example of a transcendent being who, you know, became human to experience that, you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's like an ultimate analogy to that that uh, may be missed by some of these folks. Right. But um, yeah, you know, what do you, uh, what about in terms of... I mean, how long are you there? Do you, are you just literally you sleep on the, the, the rug in the tent or like what, what kind of a, are you there for like a solid block of a week straight? You're uh you know, you got a, you got a, I don't know, bucket in the back or something like what, what's the, what's the situation, the physical situation like for the time that you're there? Well, it's very dusty. It's not, it's not sand. It's dust. It's an alkaline based dust. Cause it's a flat lake bed, a dry lake bed. Um, and it's a basin. So there's no outlet when the water does collect. And so the, the soil is very, uh, very alkaline. And that means it's not like a regular sandstorm. When you have sandstorms, it means that, that the sand bites or the dust bites a little bit more, it gets into crevices and cracks and, uh, is actually quite corrosive. Uh, so that side of the physical, uh, you know, the physical side of it is, is a little bit daunting for some people. Last year we had massive dust storms that would go on for 20, 30 minutes. I got lost in one of them. I hit uh, a 30 foot art piece with my bicycle, trying to push my bicycle through the, through the sandstorm, hoping I could find the city. 
and uh, get some shelter. And I realized, Carl, you dummy, just stand still and wait for it to pass. Because I didn't, <laughs> I had no clue where I was going. <laughs> Charge! <you're> going, <laughs> and when you're hitting a thirty foot art piece because you can't see it, it means that you can't see. <laughs> and so our, our daytime temperatures were like 101, 102 degrees. The porta potties uh, were infinitely hotter than that and stinkier. Uh, porta potties are provided. You can buy coffee and you can buy ice at center camp. That's all you can buy. There are no vendors. It is a gifting economy, not barter, gifting. Mm. There's a big difference. And so you gift, you give things away. Um, that's definitely a massive part of, of, of that movement. In fact, that played over into some of the workshops I went to where they were discussing the creation of, of a new global sharing economy through mm. cryptocurrency blockchain. Uh, really interesting correlations there. Um, uh, the physical side, we brought tents. Well, that's all we did. We brought a big tent. Uh, we slept in our tent. I had uh, roof panels that were mesh roof panels, so I closed all those off with with tape and plastic, because in the in the dust storms you want to make sure that you could keep as much dust out of your tent as possible. We were there for for the entire eight days. Uh, if you're going to go, you may as well go for it all, um, because that only makes sense. I mean, I was I, I live in Manitoba, Canada. It's a two and a half day drive just to get to the silly place, and so you're, you're going to have to commit to it. And uh, you bring all your own food in, and it is hot, it is dusty. Um, get to know your neighbors. That's one thing that we did. We, we talked to the people all around us, had some fantastic conversations with the people around us. I had a, a good couple of conversations with a retired professor. And he, 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 he was good. He reminded me, he says, you know, he says, uh, because he, we talked, he knew why I was there. And, and he goes, you have to keep in mind, he says, there's a lot of people coming just for the party, just to let their hair down, just to cut loose. They don't necessarily have a social change uh, perspective, but right. that definitely still was there. But it was still a good reminder that there's people coming. They don't even really know why. They're just there for the party. Right. Well, that, that's a lot of social movements, though, isn't it? It's kind of like the introduction. It's the gateway. Like, hey, we're just having fun. And then, you know, ideas get dropped here and there. And exactly. It's the same kind of thing we, you know, we talk about putting a rock in your shoe or, you know, make you think or, you know, that kind of thing. It's 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 similar, I suppose. Right, right. Method. And, you know, it, it was kind of funny because at one point when when he found out I was a Christian and, and that I was actually, I'm a conservative Christian, I'm an evangelical Christian, he looked at me <laughs> and he goes, what are you doing here, man? <laughs> And he said, and this is the the second thing he said, he said, but it looks like you're having a good time. And I'm like, I am having a good time. I'm here doing research. Don't get me wrong. I'm here to present Jesus Christ. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I'm doing all of that. But I'm joking with you. I'm having fun with you. I'm laughing with you. Uh, I'm seeing stuff that's fun. I see stuff that's absurd. We can kind of, we giggle <laughs> at that. We'll poke, we'll poke fun at it. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I, and I told him, I said, I, before I ever walked into this place, I already drew my moral line in the sand, and I'm not cross, crossing that moral line. And he could respect that. He understood that. And so it, it was good. We were able to talk. Uh, we were able to talk about Christianity. And uh, uh, he respected the very fact that I, I wasn't coming in with bullhorns, picket signs, and a somber look on my face. I was coming <laughs> in to interact with people, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. that's fascinating. That That is a big part of it. That the, And we've talked about it. We, I think we did talk about this in the Transformative Events episode four years ago, how uh, <laughs> it was a rejection of the church as a cultural yes. foundation for people to, to look for something like this, like the Burning Man and the vacuum it created spiritually and all this. But 
Um, tying it to the, just cur- out of curiosity, to the institutional and more of a, a corporate type of thing, because I've heard so many people talk about, oh, it's uh, capitalism is the reason why everything is so bad, and, and people do that a lot. And, and, you know, I've seen papers even written, you know, big papers about how uh, the capitalism is, uh, commo- you know, commodifying man and all this stuff. And do you think there's a, it was, again, it's interesting because they, they blame capitalism, but then they, you know, the, some of the biggest corporate people are out there with them in this sort of cultural shift move idea where, how much of an overlap you talked about how it was, it's like a, it's a big, you know, one big piece of a bigger, you know, it's a piece of thread to a bigger uh, picture here, but how much overlap is there with corporate, with the corporate world, with the economy, with politics, is it just because you, like, as you said, these are just people that want to let their hair down. What environment are they coming from now? Not just the vacuum of spirituality, but in terms of like their corporate work environment, their family environment, what is it that's driving people even still to come to these events and look for something? Uh, the, the aspect of capitalism and, and economics is, is uh, that's a good question. Um, I was at a couple of workshops dealing on cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and uh, distributed ledger technologies. Uh, and one of them, there was a lot of discussion about how we are in game A right now, and game A being capitalism, patriarchy. Game A is scarcity, white privilege, individualism, and what we really want. And keep in mind the people on the panel were were leaders in the tech sector and leaders in in entrepreneurial uh, angel in, in the angel investing world. Okay, and they what they were talking about is the need to go from from game A to game B, and game B they described it as for themselves as burners being mercenaries of light, mm-hmm. and they want us to have a sharing economy based on the gifting principle. Not necessarily, but a sharing economy mm. built around the sacred feminine, the psyche of inner space, and now generating our norms through a group narrative. Mm. And how to arrive at that? Blockchain and distributed technology. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, because I've, I've, you know, we've we've heard a lot about democratic socialism in the mainstream and politics and all this stuff. <laughs> And I'm going, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about like, okay, and I've heard, and this is what really drives me nuts is people using uh, scripture, but you know, uh, I think it's the book of Acts where it talks about people sharing stuff in a communal way. And they, they use that as an example of socialism and they say, Hey, this is socialism. See how this works. This is, well, the, you know, obviously the big difference being that that is a sharing economy, uh, you know, as right. opposed to a doing it at the point of a gun. But what seems to be happening is, you know, these tech folks realize that, Hey, maybe that socialist you know, banter uh, doesn't really work. So a more, you know, the approach to answer to that kind of crit- critique, maybe a sharing economy. Yeah. That sounds more, <laughs> that sounds way more like, you know, just, just there's no central authority forcing us to do this. Although one can argue that technology is kind of putting us down on our knees to do it. Um, it does. Yeah. Yes. So I find it fascinating. <laughs> it's, just, it's all, it's all the same thing. It's just repackaged again. We, we kind of keep going back to that point, but, but it really yeah, is true. Yeah. 
Well, it was fascinating because the discussion, and I have got this in my notes, um, my notes are right in front of me, the discussion circled around the, the, the notion of get, get it out of your head that blockchain and distributed ledger is just for cryptocurrency and tokens, that it is really about uh, becoming an engine for social norms and social transformation. So what you do socially will get approval mm -hmm. uh, through through the through the network the consensus and network that's built on the blockchain bingo yeah bingo bingo and so they were describing this as liquid democracy mm. and and taking the ethos of burning man and the ethos of this hive this hive group uh, slash hyper individualism. It's not really individualism. I'm not going to say that. It's hyper selfism because mm -hmm. there's a difference between individualism and selfism. You take the selfism, you place it within the group experience context. You throw on this new ethos, uh, and, and it's built around around what you've experienced as a group. Mm -hmm. And then you say, this is the new norm, not doctrine or dogma or theology, not Ten Commandments, not even Two Commandments, the way Jesus gave that you need to love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor. No, no, because those are grounded in something that is tangible, that is grounded in something firm. No, we are devising our own norm, and we're experiencing this and experimenting with it in real time at the burn and beyond the burn. We do it on social media. No surprise, social media is just nothing more than a type of, of burn culture, just digitized so we can all, all can participate. Uh, and so you end up walking away with this with a new, a new culture, a new, uh, a new way of thinking about civilization, about society, your neighbors. It's the emotional culture. Mm. And so yeah. group, group emotion, group emotion is what drives truth. Yeah, that, man, you touch on so many things that I'm seeing just right in front of me, you know, there was a, and, and again, this, by the time this post, hopefully it's not too much from, you know, the actual time that this was posted, but there was a, there was a story about, um, how, uh, gosh, what is this? The, the Christopher Robin movie, the new Winnie the Pooh movie, uh, the Daily Beast said that this is a emotional terrorism. I'm like, what? <laughs> how can a movie be emo? I mean, I guess maybe a horror movie could terrorize you emotionally i suppose but to call winnie the pooh an emotional terrorist i mean what are we doing i don't know man i don't know man some hey. of those some of those old cartoons really uh they're coming to life too you know they're all, it's all it's all live action all those cartoons that people grew up with are now like you know turning into 3d you know real figures it's it's you know they're just i don't know i think they're just trying to create one giant lsd trip for humanity so that we all well, comply. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of, I, I kind of would almost think that uh, that you're onto something with that. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, at least spiritually. Maybe, yes, and, and maybe you know they'll maybe they'll put that in like a little chip that we'll have to implant, and mm. so uh, so that we're all connected in psychedelically with a hive. Yeah, yeah sounds go. like fun. Um, <laughs> so tell, so you know, this has been a fascinating conversation and a great update on. Uh, what you've been doing and what you're planning to do this coming year with the iRobot thing. Um, once you attend the burn and and uh, and take a shower. gather gather more research and take a shower, um, what's the plan after that? Well, right now the big plan, of course, is, is 
get the book done, uh, Game of Gods, A Temple of Man and the Age of Reenchantment. And uh, part of one of the reasons why I want to go to the burn again this year and why I'm looking at, at going to other very similar events is uh, there needs to be a book written specifically on this culture, this movement, from a Christian point of view, um, without the hype, without uh, you know the, 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 the misinformation that's floating around. Uh, yeah, there's, there's some real nasty stuff there. At the same time, uh, we tend to overlook the worldview side by, uh, by just focusing on what titillates us, on what, uh, what tickles our ears. Yeah. And so I, I, want to, I, I really see a need to, to spend more time doing boots on the ground research, uh, which that is real research. When you actually talk to the people, do surveys, spend time um, you know, working through their worldview, sometimes right with them as you as you have those conversations. Uh, and then the other th- side of going this year is uh, we'd like to put up our camp of the unknown God and use it as that outreach, as as putting that Christian footprint down, and and with no apologies, no apologies of being Christian at all. And uh, we we would like to. To, to be able to do that again. Last year, that model worked. And why shouldn't it work? That was Paul's model. And we'd like to like to do the same thing again. This is a mission field, guys. This really is a mission field. Yeah. But no surprise, no surprise, your neighborhood is the mission field. Yeah. It's all it's all around us. And so I could see when my Game of Gods comes out, um, that the next book I'll be working on, I'll be working on, I've got a couple of different ideas kicking around, but one of them will be focused specifically on this cultural movement and this side of, of transformation. Do you have like a, a pamphlet or any kind of track that you hand out as something uh, people can, you know, remember you or remember the conversation with? Something I with would... uh, canarycryradio.com. <laughs> <laughs> Preferably. Well, you know, last year was was it, it was trial and error. We didn't have anything with us to give away, and and that was no, we did, we did. Uh, actually, Robert brought uh, uh, a bunch of of Ten Commandment kind of uh, brochures and 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 pennies with the Ten Commandments stamped on, and and stickers and stuff like that with the Ten Commandments, which was good. That was that was cool. He he handed them out after after we had some of our conversations. But we've been talking a little bit back and forth about what maybe what books we could bring that we could just hand out and say, hey, you know, this is a fascinating conversation. You're an atheist uh, or you're uh, an agnostic or you're an esoteric thinker. Here's a book specifically uh, from a Christian point of view that that will help you to understand what the Christian side thinks of that or or how you can rethink where you're coming from and and present with them Present them with a Christian alternative. That's that's the one thing we would like to do. It, it's just a matter of getting uh, our tickets and getting in the door. Uh, and getting our tickets this year has been really super difficult. So we're still trying. We're still trying to to, to nail our tickets and um, and to put boots on the ground there. What's the what's the need there for the tickets? What's holding you back? Um, right now, the the best thing we can do for tickets is trying to find them on the secondary market and trying to find people who are legitimate sellers on the secondary market because, man, there's scammers out there. And so we've dealt with a lot of people who are scammers, and we've missed a few sales be- uh, that were legitimate sales simply because we just didn't have the funds in hand at the time. And so we're... We're still in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we still have a few weeks to, to go before the burn takes place, and we're really hoping that uh, over the, co- the course of even the next week, we'll be able to, to secure a couple of, of legitimate secondhand or, 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 or tickets from secondary sources. 
What's the financial need attached to that? Uh, last year, I, I think I spent about two grand last year uh, attending the event. I mean, you're traveling three days basically, and uh, the cost of the ticket runs anywhere from from four hundred and twenty five dollars to twelve hundred dollars. Uh, it all depends on what level of ticket you can get. And by the way, the ticket price range doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't give you any advantage. Those those are the way. That's the way the tickets are are financially structured. And so, uh, we might not be able to get four twenty five tickets. We might have to spend the nine ninety or the twelve hundred uh, on the secondary market. They're not cheap tickets. That's for sure. Yeah. But it is in a in a way a foreign mission field right in your own backyard. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's it's the same that it would be you know buy buy a plane ticket to go to Africa or something. Right, right. Except I'm not having to fly. You know, I'm just Woo-hoo. driving. Yeah, I'll I'll do the two and a half three day drive. And you know, last year was a little bit exceptional. Last year was extremely expensive because I hit a deer on the way down, totaled my oh, truck. Oh no! Oh my gosh! Yeah, I totaled my truck. Ended up leaving my truck in Idaho. In fact, um, two days before the burn was even starting, I was in Idaho Falls. A state trooper was nice enough to drop drop me off in Idaho Falls. That's and- a country song right there. <laughs> I left my truck in Idaho Falls, <laughs> and uh, and and so you know we were even considering abandoning the the burn last year because I didn't have the funds to get you know to get it to to get an SUV because I needed to rent an SUV to pack up all my gear. Yeah, uh, so I was thinking of of literally just dumping my gear, getting on the bus, going back to North Dakota, and having my wife drive down to pick me up from Manitoba. So last year, I think. By the time it was all said and done, with the with the expense of losing my truck, about six, roughly six grand. Yeah, that's uh, that's a significant expense. So do you? So you guys, uh, you have a what? A Indiegogo setup or something? We do. We have a uh, we have a crowd uh, funding site set up, a GoFundMe, uh, and you can just look it up. Research project at Burning Man. And so that's what uh, that's what we're trying to do: raise the funds. We have a six thousand dollar goal right now. We have thirty three hundred dollars uh, pegged, and that will that will cover tickets and fuel and hotels and food, and Lord willing, not another roadside wreck. The way Even we have the the six grand will cover all that. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I mean, hey, look, we uh, we try not to. I mean, besides pitching our Patreon episode, we don't ask a whole lot. But, hey, if you guys believe in this work, what that Carl's doing, if uh, you want to hear more, read more, uh, you're definitely coming back. We're going to sign you on for your first exclusive when you get back from Burning Man and get get the report back. You know, this is, uh, this is an opportunity for Canarians to kind of mobilize to get Carl out there. Um, so go ahead, go over to uh, which site it's was Go it again? Fund me. Go fund me research project at Burning Man. We'll throw a link in the show notes or something yeah. if you guys want to support that, because um, that seems like uh, I mean I'm interested in knowing what comes back from that. So I'm going to have to head over to that link myself. 
Well, it's exciting. We have a, a you know, when this is all said and done, if everything works, we have three people, uh, Jen, uh, our friend uh, Bob Worley, myself, um, and I think it would make a good team. Bob's Bob's uh, retirement age, he's an old burner. He's been around the block with the burn community since the 1990s. And um, I think it'll be really good for Jen, too. I know it's going to be really good for Jen as, as she'll be able to bring her gifts into play. And uh, and for myself, I, I have a more of an analytical bent. And uh, it's kind of interesting to see how, how this is all going to, uh, you know, p- kind of pan out. And I think it'll be good. I know it will be good. Great. Well, that's awesome. awesome. Um, so, I mean, I, I didn't mean to try to start landing the plane there, although we are at about an hour and a half. Um, is are there any aspects of this that we're missing? You know, oh. Oh. did there? we lose him? I guess. I guess. Oh, Uh-oh. we lost you we there lost for a second. Well, this guy really is not happy about this conversation. Well. <laughs> Are you back? You should have seen that. Well, you couldn't see that deer. My word. When I hit him, because I hit him, I hit him at a full 80 miles an hour because it's an 80 mile hour interstate. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. There was, it was at night. There was, there was no knowing that, that he was paralleling me. He was running across the highway and we intersected and, uh, he blew to smithereens, and my truck blew to smithereens too. Wow! <laughs> we intersected is like the most uh, <laughs> cordial way to explain it. Yeah, the most cordial, <laughs> like technical, scientific way, <laughs> and uh, politically correct. I would say. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. I could describe things, but I won't. I won't. If you were talking to. <laughs> If you're trying to describe hitting a deer with your car to a PETA member, you could say, <laughs> we intersected. That's right. That's they right. get the wrong idea. And be, <laughs> you might really like Carl after that. We should. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, you're asking about, is there anything we're missing? And one thing, if, if your community, the Canary Cry community could pray for us, uh, mm, pray that absolutely. we would get our tickets, pray after we get our tickets that we could, that we can make a, uh, an impact with the people that we'll be uh, talking to at the burn. Yeah. We want to be ambassadors for Christ. That's, that's really the bottom line. Even the research, the analytical side, the, that, that aspect of the work we do, that still ultimately is about being ambassadors for Christ. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. You got the lowdown on this mysterious event called Burning Man. You may be seeing a lot of posts on Facebooks, but here you go. Dodge the hype, y'all. Carl Tykrib and his team are going and going to be some boots on the ground in uh, the camp of the unknown God doing some research and reaching out to people. Make sure to keep them in your prayers. If you can, if you feel led, head over and support the project, research project at Burning Man on, uh, dang, which Go platform? GoFundMe. <laughs> There's so many, I can't, and we joke about Kickstarter so often. Um, GoFundMe.com, research project at Burning Man. Check it out. Help them reach that goal so they... Um, have what they need to make this mission happen. Carl, thank you so much for coming on the show, buddy. And, uh, you know, we 
uh, you have our support, and we're going to be stopping by that link, make a little donation ourselves. Well, hey, and thanks for letting me on your show, and uh, let's not make this another four years, eh? Hey, there you go. Well, and in fact, we could make it four weeks if, uh, you know, you make sure to come back right when you're done. Make sure to come back on the show. We need an immediate report. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds okay. good. Sounds okay. good. Okay. All right. We're, we're putting your pencil in you in for the week after Burning Man. Cool. We'll give you a second to breathe and get the get the alkaline dust out of your hair, but then you're back <laughs> on the job, buddy. <laughs> crack, crack that whip. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you have it, folks. Carl Tycrib on the journey, caravan to the Black Rock Desert. I really hope that, uh, you know, that we've had some talk about fundraising on this show quite a bit. But <laughs> if you guys believe in this uh, mission strip, really, to Burning Man uh, using the Camp of the Unknown God to reach out into that uh, worldview and that has such an effect on the, I would say, at least American culture. Um, go ahead, head over there to GoFundMe, search Research Project at Burning Man, and help those guys get there. Gons, you and I are going to be doing that yeah. right after this. I'm actually and, working on it right now. Yep, we're there. We're clicking away while we should be recording. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead and do that. And also check out Carl Tykrib's work. Um, we've got a couple of episodes on Canary Cry Radio, episode 78 and episode 34, something around there. Go find it, and that'll give you a good intro uh, if you don't 32. know. 32, if you don't know about Carl Tykrib's work. And once again, we want to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters. Again, we are at 71 supporters. Once we get to 100, we have a very, very special episode we're going to be putting out, um, as well as a new goal that's going to be extra special. And for those of you um, who want to do that, you can head to uh, patreon.com slash canarycryradio. We've got uh, all sorts of levels of support you can join at all with uh, a wonderful set of rewards. If you wanted to get a little bit more involved and support this podcast, because we don't believe in stealing your attention and selling it to corporations and things like that. That is against... All pretty much everything we stand for. So if you appreciate that and you appreciate the show, please head over to uh, patreon.com slash canarycryradio. If you're unable to make a commitment financially, totally understand. Please don't um, commit anything that you are uncomfortable with or that is going to put you in any sort of peril. You can greatly support the show by clicking that share button, sharing it with a friend, sending this episode to maybe a, a burner you know. Um, or leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. And also, if you want to support the show financially but don't want to give your cash, we are going to be making a uh, secure and private um, website that you can visit. CanaryCryRadio.com slash crypto. And uh, you click a little button there, and it devotes a small amount of your CPU power and it runs a little bit of code and will actually mine cryptocurrency to support Canary Cry Radio. I know this is a little bit of a new concept, maybe a concept that uh, you may be uncomfortable with, although a lot of people 
who listen to the show are familiar with the concept of crypto mining. And um, we're just being upfront about this. We wouldn't do anything to put you guys at peril. Um, we are making it as secure and as safe as possible for you to participate, not only just in this interesting realm of crypto mining, but also supporting the show. And I know there's a conversation going around if Bitcoin is the mark of the beast, um, I don't think so, although it, it is simply a uh, new financial mechanism that uh, we are experimenting with to find ways uh, to... To create the hive mind. <laughs> find ways <laughs> to help support this show using the uh, systems oh. that are available to us. So there you go. I'm, really, I'm kind of bummed out about blockchain after talking to Carl. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential both ways. I, I mean, it's I'm, kind of, I'm being a little dramatic. You it's, are being a little dramatic, but that's both, okay. It's both. It's a two-edged sword. It's like you know, the internet. About yeah, like the internet. like the internet, and that's uh, how we think about cryptocurrency. Much like the internet or any technology, it can be used for good or evil. Our job is to uh, take this technology and use it for good, and uh, we hope you guys join us in that effort. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, Gons, anything else to talk about? There's I don't, always things to talk there's about. There's always Michael. things to talk about. Well, there you go. I think that's just about it. Make sure to go ahead to Facebook, like Canary Cry Radio. We've got all sorts of stuff going on over on that Facebook page, as well as the Canary Cry community, which is just a super fun community of Canarians who are getting together, having conversations, not just about the stuff we talk about the show, although that happens, but we got people connecting, finding Canarians close to them. There's a couple of meetups that have been uh, sort of a brewing in that group as well as just a great place to fellowship with others just like you so head over to facebook.com slash canary cry community get connected join the group it's a great time um uh, that is the next uh, next thing probably the meetup Oh, it's it's getting talked about. Meetups yeah. meetups are getting planned as we speak. So if you want to learn if there's a meetup near you, head over to the uh, Canary Cry community. Hey, and remember, if you got friends out there who aren't listening to the show, go on out there, free their mind. Go out there and rattle some cages. I want to shake things up, stir up some controversy. Rattle a few cages. Don't ever silence me. I'm the last angry man, a crusader for the little guy. Leave the bird alone. Never. Rattle a few cages. Rattle a few cages. That's it, Gons. We're out of here, bro. Out of here. Getting that music going. We're out of here. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to tune in next time. But until then, think outside the cage.
Oh no! 